Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. This is your host, Martha Tyler. And this week, we are going to be talking about nannies as educators and advocates um, and, and advocacy about, about being a nanny in general. And to do that, I have brought on Nanny Tachi. Hi, Nanny Tachi. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me here, Martha. I am so excited to have you here. We um we were talking as we were uh messaging back and forth about how we've been we've been trying to do this interview for a long time, so I'm glad we finally made it work. Yeah, I guess it's been a couple of years actually. <laughs> yeah. I think so, I think so. Um yes, and we're both, you know, we're both busy <laughs> nannies and, and stuff. So I understand, but I'm so glad that we got to make it work. Um, before we get into the interview part, I would love to hear your nanny journey. Absolutely. Um, so it starts even before I knew I was going to become a nanny. So my dream, I'm actually from Brazil. And when I was nine years old, I really wanted to come here. It was just a dream that I had as a kid. Told my dad, dad, I want to go live in the U.S. And my dad asked me three questions. He asked me, do you speak the language? Do you have money? Then what do you have to do? So that's <laughs> been my, you know, my, my uh, initial journey to come here, starting work early and saving money. And then at 18, uh, so I, I guess that tells me like during my, you know, teenage years, everybody knew I wanted to come here, right? I always had that four goal that I was working to save money. And then my, one of my best friends, she got a flyer at her college about the au pair program and she brought it to me and I was like, that's it. I have the exact same you know, amount of money that I need to go to the U.S. to go to do this program. And uh, at that point, I was already teaching in Brazil and I was teaching kids as well. So like, this is perfect. This is going to be really, it's my, my ticket to paradise. And I came, I came here in 2003, first as an au pair. And I, my host family, they invited me back. I was here for two years. Then I went back for a year and a half. And then I came back and they invited me back here to finish college here. And I fell in love with the profession. And here I am today, almost 20 years later. Wow. What a, a wonderful nanny journey. Yeah. 
I love uh, that you knew that you wanted to be here from a really young age. That's that's really wonderful. Yeah, and it was really I. I dream my own, like my whole family is still in Brazil. Um, you know, I say like, well, I'm here kind of alone, but it, it was my dream, right? And as I said, I, especially chocolate folks in Brazil, it's not even here, you know, nanny is not something that a lot of folks dream of being of, right? It's not a career that when their kids are like, oh, I want to be a nanny. And for in the beginning of my, not beginning of my career, but when I really realized that I loved nanny more than I liked being a teacher, I went through a phase where I thought it was crazy and it was very isolating. I thought it was like this weird being that just genuinely liked being a nanny instead of being a teacher. And then I found out the community. I actually met Janice Sinclair, which I, I love her, and Nanny Palooza. And then I saw that there were some other crazy nannies like me that also loved being nannies. And that's really when I started my I would say my professional nanny life, I became more involved with, you know, local events uh, and then nationally and then doing all the advocacy work and all that. Uh, so I found, I found my tribe. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's such an important piece in the, in, in every nanny journey that I've heard is like that acceptance of this is a career and that it's a wonderful career. And uh, and just as admirable as teachers and, you know, like love teachers as well, but I'm the same way. I have my master's in education. I was in the classroom and I, I started nannying and, and really fell in love with it. And now that's, that's the direction I've gone. So I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, great. So let's talk about nannies as educators. Um, when can you help me understand a little bit better what you mean by that of like do you mean like educators to children like teachers or educators or educators about being a nanny as a career or both both really uh i think going back to what i said when i decided to make peace of myself that that's really what i wanted to do to be a nanny i had the realization coming out in the classroom and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna present myself as an educator because what I do, it is what I do in the, you know, in the classroom. But guess what? Here I have even the opportunity to really tailor uh, all the, the, the learning opportunities to this child's unique needs, right? So in the classroom, even though you see what each child needs, there are 20 of them and two of you. Right. <laughs> possible right and especially with the regulations that EC has and stuff that you have to follow through the day uh, I was in the Head Start classroom 20 kids for two teachers and I was in a mixed classroom as well so there was no way there were some kids that were two um 2.9 years old and there were some that need to be ready for kindergarten so it was just such a, a different mix that when I found myself you know nanny I was like guys this is this is what I'm doing. And it completely shifted the way I presented myself. And I, I think I really saw, I had that educator view because I was in the classroom and I was switching. And from then it really shaped how I started seeing the, the, you know, the industry or our position as well. And I've been saying this now for over a decade, even before COVID hit. Now I feel like a lot of people and they're talking a lot more about you know, nannies being educator because they see what happened, right? With the kids having to stay home right. uh, and then needing that extra help with schoolwork and all that. 
Uh, but the reality is we've been doing this all along. We've been doing this much, much longer than uh, before COVID hit. Yes, absolutely. I was literally before this interview, before we hit record, I was at the library and I was there for like 30 minutes trying to find very specific books for my nanny kids interest. Um, And it's so fun. I was like talking with the children's librarian, you know, all of that good stuff. And, and we make lesson plans and, and all of that. So what are some ways that you have built up yourself as an educator for your nanny kids? That's a very good question. So some parents and even some nannies, they have the idea that for you to be a nanny educator, you need to come in with lesson plans. You need to be doing curriculum with the kids. And I, for the longest time, I still say this, it's not that I'm completely opposed to lesson plans and curriculum, uh, but I kind of start talking about this the magic of teachable moments, right? We don't really necessarily need to be creating lessons and uh, having all this prepared uh, plans to do with the kids because the magic and, and I think of the, the really the benefit that we have to be one-on-one and have that freedom to really see what each child needs to tailor to their moods that day to what's happening that specific day. That's really like the, the magic that we bring, right? And we can play with that. Uh, yes, they're, you know, prepared sometimes activities and all, but what I really tell parents, like being able to come in, see what's going on with the kid at that moment and really tailor the day towards their needs or their interests or even their health that day, or if something is going on. So it's either going to the park and then we can have a lesson there at the park. We can really explore the outdoors nature or if it's a hot day we can go to the pool where we can go to the fountains so it's not really being tied to a uh, I do I love routines don't get me wrong and mm-hmm. I love schedule I definitely have that but it's not being tied to okay we are gonna have a lesson on you know math on Monday Tuesday you know all of that stuff so there's a lot of flexibility that I think we need to take advantage of right? There's more exploration, especially I work with really little kids. Mm -hmm. uh, So that's why I really sometimes advocate also for let's leave the curriculum and lesson plans to the side because they're going to, I always say like kids are going to have that putting to imposing to them for their whole lives once they start going to college, right? They're not really going to have a saying in what they're going to be learning or not, like what they're going to be exploring or not. So let's take that first, second and third year if we can and really, you know, have the adventures, have the adventures that we can have outdoors, have those teachable moments. So I talk a lot about teachable moments uh, that it is being able to create a lesson there when you see the interest. So if you're going on a walk and your toddler would stop every time to see ants, then you can talk about ants and then you can go to the library and get more, you know, books about ants and all of this stuff, but not necessarily come with your own um you know, idea, your own concept, your, your own agenda, right? And put it in there to do with the kids. Now, it is different if you do see that they need to work on something. Let's say a baby that needs to work a little bit more on rolling, you know, right. and all the stuff. And of course you do it, right? Because you know. So I think that's also the beauty. Like we have the balance. We have, you know, we have the ability to really give what they need when we see it, but we also have the ability to let them be free and explore and have the adventures because my ultimate goal, it is really to have that joy of curiosity. And if I keep just bringing things that I keep having my agenda of what I want to teach them, I feel that 
breaks a little bit. And this is just my, <laughs> I guess, my opinion, right? Um, but when I feel like it's really free and it's child-led and I go, I always go like through their interests and what's the, you know, in the moment that they're excited about, I do feel we, we, we have a better relationship with learning in general, right? With really exploring and not being tied to one specific or uh, activities that I will impose to them. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly in your philosophy. Um, and I am the same way. I have been offered by families in the past, um, like pre-made curriculum. And I, I've had to really explain to those families that, yes, I, I totally understand the desire for wanting curriculum. Um, because you want to feel like your child is getting this, you know, certain education that you're checking all of the boxes, right? There's this, this comfort in that of like, well, you know, this week they, they really, they did math and they did science and they did, you know, and I'm like, however, what you lose by doing it that way is this ability, you know, one day, one of my nanny kids and I were sitting out on the front porch and we saw a squirrel fall out of a tree and like from that we got we got so curious about squirrels and really studied them and got books and you know there's that sneaky squirrel book series and got really into that and we would go on like squirrel walks where we would try to find you know see how many squirrels so that's counting and all of this stuff and i was like if we had been locked into a curriculum on apples that week you know like there would have been no room for the curiosity that arose absolutely and i do think it's also there's a i I think we need to work on educating parents and even some you know colleagues some other nannies about how learning works right learning Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to work just on a curriculum or lesson plans with kids learning is happening every moment and during play and exploration, that's really, it, it was truly uh, happening. We don't have to have our own agenda because that's how their, their gears are, you know, like that's how they're made. And it's not like, uh, you know, early learning, the science of learning, we always talk about, it's not that you're teaching, let's say you're reading a book and they're just learning about reading and, you know, language. There's just so much involved, like it's all interconnected, right? So they can learn about math when you're out playing with sticks. They can learn, you know, about science when you're walking in nature or, you know, playing with water. So all of this stuff, it's still, it is learning and it's very rich learning. And as we said, the curiosity piece, it's something that I really, I I talk a lot about parents, like, you know what, I want them to explore. They're gonna have this. And in the first few years, this is what is important, right? We wanna work on the social, emotional, all of that. And I want them to be curious and explore. I want them to explore the world around them in you know different ways. And that's not necessarily just being tied to one activity that they're gonna have to sit down or something that I have my on the agenda. Because if you're having a lesson plan, a true lesson plan, you have the goals, right? And it comes from you. <laughs> like right. even if you're talking about it, but if you were the one putting, imposing that, that you want them to learn. So it is kind of force and I like to just open and let them, you know, really every child is different, right? And and also 
And this is, I've talked to my students before, the frustration that comes sometimes that you have this beautiful lesson prepared and high hopes to do it. And then, you know, maybe you don't have the material that day or maybe the child is sick or, so there's always that stuff like that's unnecessary because the, again, it takes the joy of you wanting to do some fun stuff with the kid, right? Because you get your hopes all, you know, all up. Um, but again, it's not, it's not enjoyable. So let's just enjoy the, the magic that we have that we can, you know, explore that we can have teachable moments without without having to follow a, you know, a, a lesson plan or a curriculum. Yes, yes. And I, I think that our, I, I think what you're talking about there of like, <laughs> having our own plan, right, is, um, is that like pride and ego? Because I, I fall prey to it, too. And I think we see it a lot in the nanny communities, a lot in the like mom parent groups, especially of this like picture perfect um, play, right? Of like my child is doing et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, And I just think that the more we can resist the urge to project that our child is the, the smartest, the best, the whatever, or that we are, because we're doing play in this very specific way that we're doing it the best, right? The more we can avoid that trap, the better for our kids and for us. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what's funny. I, um, so I, I did, so I do, I, I call like, I have some certified genius <laughs> under my belt, quote, unquote, right? Uh, right? But some of my, some of my kids have been tested. And that's the thing sometimes when parents, they hear or they talk to, you know, references and they come, so they think I'm going to be that nanny that's going to come with flashcards and, you know, I'm going to be drilling them. And I always find myself having to explain to them, it's like, guess what? They turn out that way and we never use the flashcard and we don't do all this stuff. So, and I think that also gave me the, the you know, not the courage, but really be brave more into tackling this and telling people it's like, you know, this is a... Uh, maybe a, a misconception that we have that, you know, for your kids to be turned out super smart and all of the stuff you need to be doing. And it, I, I feel it's the opposite. I also have this theory as a learner myself, like I love learning, right? If mm-hmm. I could go to college for the rest of my life, I would, I generally would. I love learning. <laughs> I love the classroom uh, as thing, a learner. <laughs> yeah. And I see, so when I see folks that are so against education or so against, you know, all this stuff, I can't help but think it's like, I am, I don't know, 100% sure, almost like to say that maybe it's because they had a, uh, you know, an experience, a traumatic experience, some bad experience of learning. And this is exactly what I don't want it to happen to the kids. You know, I don't want us, for example, and I can say when I noticed that I was doing that, the whole thing with, uh, it's about the process, not the product, right? So I know that my gap, for example, I need to be very conscious when I do craft with kids because I'm very type A mm-hmm. <laughs> and the whole mess and freezing. It's it, like, I, so I know this. So whenever I do, I need to like, Tachi, chill. Like, it's okay. They're going to make a mess. It's not going to be, you know, <laughs> the right. way you think it's perfect. Um, but that was my realization that was like, man, if I do something here, I can completely ruin their whole experience of ever do craft again. And then I remember that actually when I was in preschool, I remember being playing with glitter and the teacher come here and kind of messed up my my thing on purpose. Right. I don't remember exactly what was, but I remember being like, why did you do that? And I mean, I have the story. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess I, I do remember some spark, but I could feel like how that maybe that's what brought me to be the person that the glitter needs to be a certain way or so. Ah. So you can see how like little things that maybe you don't you don't think it makes a difference, but it could actually turn you out to be a person that's going to be so, you know, kind of anal with the, the whole um, like glitter thing. Right. So right. that's why I feel like, okay, we need to just take a, a step back, let them explore. And if we are doing, you know, this projects or uh, any, any project, really, if it's arts and craft, remember the, the whole thing we talk about is the process, right? Not the product. We, even if we're doing the lesson plan, it's about the enjoyment of the moment. If the child isn't enjoying, if, if you think that's a game and they're being forced, they're being, you know, you can see them like that takes the whole point away. Like they're not going to be learning and, you know, you're really just wasting your time and their time. And if anything, it could even be, you know, kind of a, a bad, you know, quote unquote experience for the kids because they're not having fun. They're not uh, enjoying. And that's really, you know, the opposite of what I want uh, kids to feel about learning. And as I said, the joy of curiosity. Yes, yes. I read this article um, for an article that I was writing actually about the importance of play. And uh, the article was from Scientific America. And it concludes, and I'm, I'm quoting here, perhaps the most disturbing is the potential for early exposure to academics to psychologically damage developing brains. Yes, you read that correctly. There's evidence to indicate early exposure to academics may actually damage developing brains, not what any parent wants for their child by any means. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it goes on to say parents might be surprised to learn that just playing is in fact what nearly all developmental psychologists, neuroscientists, and education experts recommend for children uh, up to age seven as the best way to nurture kids. Absolutely. I feel that needs to be on the billboard in every yes. block. <laughs> it needs to be everything. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. And it is exactly there. Like I, I taught actually a class on play recently and I was telling my students, even the the whole uh, sometimes when they say the, I feel like it's this guys when they talk about the child-based uh, curriculum or child, I was like, uh -huh. still, like you need to be very careful <laughs> because if right. you have your goal in your agenda, Again, you're taking the joy. You do need to follow the child. If they don't want to do it, then don't do it. Don't force it because it, it's going to happen. It's going to have starting to make the association with something that I don't want to do it. Then you're forcing me to do it. And again, they're going to have this for what? 10 years of their lives, even more, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Once they start going to school, trust me, they're going to get there. They're going to get this. So there's no need for us to, you know, to force uh, them into it early on. Right. Okay. So I love all of that so, so much because I am the same way. And I, I do feel like I have become, the more I've learned about it, the more passionate I've become about communicating that to families and other nannies and caregivers of all kinds. So how have you found, um, what have you found works when talking especially with the parents that we work with about this in particular, because I, I think that there is this tendency sometimes for parents to hear it as my nanny doesn't want a lesson plan or my nanny doesn't want to like do the work, quote unquote. Um, so how have you found uh, 
what have you found success in communicating with parents about why this is actually one more work and two, like really important for us to, to nanny in this way? Yeah, so I think making that, you know, with the joke that I always say, like, come on, they're going to have this imposed to their lives for the entire lives, right? So I think that breaks a little bit and there's like, oh, it kind of gives the click. It's like, oh, you're actually not wrong. <laughs> this is going to happen to them, right? And, you know, fortunately, I am an educator. So I come from the background and I tell them, I was like, well, I can cite the resources. I can talk about the articles that we know. And I can explain to them that play, it happens during play and it needs to be enjoyable and fun and if I'm bringing here the agenda we you know I just need to well not that I just uh, I'm gonna go back a little bit it's not that if I don't have a lesson plan if I don't have this that means that they're not learning it's like as you said or as the the researchers say just playing it's exactly what they need right they don't Mm -hmm. need to be forced and and guided into other other way and I tell them it's like you know the first years is all about those because that sometimes we we take for granted it's not about math and you know and all and reading and all that stuff like it is a social emotional it is a physical right it is all of that stuff together and it's not like we're gonna sit down and we're gonna be doing this and I said science is all around us if they have time to go and explore if we are patient to really go and you know you, I, I see, and I kind of, I feel I tell, you know, I can teach parents to see the science and the magic happening, you know, when they just observe the kids. It's like, you know, just look at what they're doing right now. Like, can't, for me, I feel like I can see the baby's gears like turning when they're playing and exploring an object, right? And right. this is what I tell parents, like, see, you, we can see this. Now, put in here an activity that you think that we're doing for them and you watch, so we, I have done this maybe with two families and they was like, wow, okay. It doesn't seem that they're thinking, right? It was like, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> they're basically telling them what to do. And it was like, they're not having fun. They're, they're looking, but, you know, and the parents are trying to do, oh, do this, do this. It's like, see, again, we want them to figure it out for themselves, right? Not tell them what to do because that's how real learn happens. And that's how it's going to be enjoyable. So sometimes I have to prove a point by, you know, showing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but as I say, most of the time, I do feel I have an advantage that I can tell about my kids that now, I mean, one of my charges is now 21 years old, right? Graduated mm-hmm. from MIT, started Harvard at 10. So I, I kind of have some live testimonies <laughs> that I can say that like, listen, we never used lesson plans and flashcards and we didn't do memorizing and drills here. So, you know, it kind of gives me like a backup of like, oh, maybe she knows what she's doing, right? Um, right. Uh, so yeah, this is, you know, we, we need to keep educating them in the articles and showing and sometimes make the experiment with them themselves for them to see the difference and, or maybe just see how learning really uh, happens with babies and, you know, toddlers and preschoolers. Yes, yes. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I love the the showing them that <laughs> when you put the learning goal on it, especially with a baby, that you can see it in their eyes that, that, that the, the joy a lot of times leaves when you try to force them to do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it, it becomes, as I said, there's also a piece of frustration, right, from your part. And it's like, you can't control this. It's uh, and I feel that that's the beauty of the work that we do. It's like that's why I love being a nanny. I actually had the freedom to work 
to the individual needs of this child instead of having to impose the whole curriculum or the whole schedule that we had in the classroom. Right. Right. Yes. And I, I say that on the podcast all the time of like, I, I think that the, the gift we are given as nannies that is so important is time that we have the time, the breathing room, the ability to set up the day a lot of the time to meet the needs of the children we're working with in any season they're in, because it also is definitely a moving target. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And if they need more time, we can spend two hours in one activity, right? Or, you know, or maybe 15 minutes if they're really not interested, we, you know, we can go and jump and do something else. So <laughs> uh, I think that's really the, the beauty of it. And that's what makes it even more fun. Yes, yes. The Furry Princess, a tale about a princess with a tail. This children's book follows Princess Sasha, a tiger about to receive her royal tiara as she makes new friends and finds self-confidence by learning ballet. Follow Sasha on her journey to become the Furry Princess. Available for purchase at thefurryprincess.com. So let's turn a little bit to the advocacy piece. Um, I would love to know more about your work in advocacy for the nanny community. Absolutely. So my work started also early, I think uh, 2012, I guess, once I started, you know, uh, getting to know the community, the um, uh, here in Massachusetts, we we're just about to introduce the domestic workers Bill of Rights. So I was there also from the beginning. And that's when it hit me that I didn't know that we didn't have protections. I didn't know that we were excluded from, you know, labor laws uh, in the U.S. So that gave me like a really, um, you know, motivation to like, no, this is not right. This is, you know, this is needs to be changed. So I got involved with a few projects. Uh, for, well, I've been still with Matahari, so Matahari Women's Workers. It's a center here in Boston, which is also an affiliate of the National Domestic Work Alliance. And since then, we've been, you know, working on passing bills right now, uh, or passing legislation and domestic workers law in several states, uh, a few cities. And we tried a couple, two years ago, we introduced a federal bill because we don't really want to go you know, all of the 50 states to pass right. the bill. <laughs> and maybe it would be easier to just go and go with a federal bill. So we introduced that. Uh, it's going to be reintroduced now that we changed the presidents. Uh, so in, in the coming months. So yeah, it's been uh, several parts. I think as, a, as a, an advocate, I feel like we are definitely fighting for those rights. And I want to also fight for really the acknowledgement, right, of the work that we do, especially with so much research that we have nowadays on, you know, the importance of early childhood and who are doing those work, especially, you know, nannies that are working with the younger children. And that's how we tie, I talk about the nanny educator, like, come on, look at the work that we're doing. So I do feel like now our profession in general needs to be taken seriously, needs to be acknowledged, needs to be uh, validated and celebrated, right? And we are going to start with, you know, passing laws, giving some real uh, protections like any other work. We are profession, we are professionals like any other professionals, right? And so we start little by little with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a long road. It's not clearly, especially for me, because I like let's get this done, people. Right. <laughs> uh, and especially looking for, you know looking at domestic work as we say in the movement that 
you know, we came from slavery and all of this stuff, like, come on, we're in 2021 and we're still having to fight for real, like basic rights. Uh, so I know I can be a little bit impatient. And one of the things that I find also uh, with some of the communities that I work with is that sometimes in advocacy, folks don't understand how we really need to start with the bottom line, with the basics of the basics. So for example, I'm going to give an example maybe with the Seattle case. So when they were, you know, creating our, I don't know, Seattle or California, a lot of nannies, like professional nannies, weren't happy with it. And I can see why, because, and I was like, well, you guys, sometimes what we're trying to pass here, it's really, it's very basic. And folks mm-hmm. are saying like, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is like the bar needs to be much higher. Um, but we're forgetting that with millions and millions and millions of domestic workers here in the U.S., you and I, if we are in a Facebook group, we are part of the 2% of the <laughs> Right. of the domestic workers, right? So we do need to, you know, I need to keep working with the ninnies that are around me on the day to day. It was like, we are, we're good. Maybe we, we can be still be and exploited. And of course there are still ninnies that are being underpaid and all that stuff, but we are already talking to others and we have a sense, you know, we're getting some support, but there are millions, millions of domestic workers that Maybe they don't even speak a language to go and ask for help, right? Maybe they're in captivated. Like we know cases, recent, not recent, the last two years of folks that, you know, have taken their passports and they can't go to the playground with kids. So there's so many stuff that you would see once you start working in advocacy that you understand why we started with really the bottom line, right? Because, well, okay, we, we do want to work to this and, we try our best to go to a point because we know they're also going to take it out some of the stuff. It's, it's very rarely that we're going to fight for policies, you know, at this level, and then you're going to get all of it, right? Very, right. very rare. Um, so it is a lot of work. I, I said it a lot, but there, there's a lot to be said about advocacy. Yeah, for sure. What are, what are some of those bottom line things that, because I, I would love for listeners to be able to start talking to other um, domestic workers in general about about how to advocate and also just educating about what that bottom line of like basic rights is. Yeah, I can actually talk about the controversial one. I think one of us very controversial because you know us. Uh, it was like, oh, this is not reasonable. It's not. Uh, it was about having a. a, a break right so Mm. mandated break during the shift and why did that happen guys it happened because yes there were employers that wouldn't allow a nanny to sit down during an eight or ten hour shift that wouldn't allow them to you know really eat so for us this seems like it's unrealistic how it's going to happen no if they're going to deduct well we have to see that there are so many that and even myself in my career i actually have come across people that whenever the baby was working, they would give me like a list of things to do. So I, I it was for them to be, be, be doing nothing for a minute was like, no, even in the bath. I remember, oh my gosh, I have a lot of stories, but even if I went to the bathroom, I felt like I was being timed and monitored for it. So right. we need to remember that there, you know, not everyone and the majority of, you know, workers are not in the position that we are. And they do need this basic thing that is just saying, okay, Someone's going to say, and yes, they are legally allowed to have a 30 minute break, right? 
And then I think the fight or the controversy came about, you know, being paid or unpaid. But you you see, like I still maybe two years, three years ago, I've heard from family, they would say that they wouldn't pay me when the baby napped. And I, I have a great line whenever they say this and they look at me like I'm the craziest person. And I say like, oh, great. I have a friend in the area. I always wanted to go and catch up with her. This is going to be great. And then they just look at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, yeah, no, she lives. I think it's like two or three blocks from here. And it, it's not really true, but right. you know, I just right. want to see the reaction. And they would say like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, uh, it's great. I'm going to have a break. You're not going to pay me so I can go grab a quick coffee and then come back. Like, oh, no, you can't. You can't leave the baby alone. I was like, what do you mean? You're not going to be here for the baby. I was like, no, I need to go to work. I was like, well, then then I need to be paid. <laughs> so we go through this whole thing. But it kind of I, I guess I for me, I was like, oh, hopefully you see how ridiculous you sound right now. Right. <laughs> because right. what you're asking me, it's not uh, that's not how it works. Um, but it, it still it happens. I've seen on Facebook uh, posts actually recent, maybe like a week or two ago on the mom's group talking about that and I was like guys come on uh so it's something that we need to keep you know putting some regulations in there even if it doesn't look viable for us right Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's gonna have to be there and it doesn't change like of course they're gonna just be paid the whole time and that's what happens right even it's mandated if you don't have the 30 minute break they're gonna be paid but it means that you can actually sit down if the baby's napping and you can I don't know if you want to watch Netflix for 30 minutes, you watch Netflix. It's, it's your break. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Yes. And I, I do think that that's so important. Um, and it, it really boggles my mind that families can't wrap their heads around the fact that because you have to be there, the baby can wake up at any second. Like, or I've, I've also seen posts recently about like when my nanny kids go back to school in the fall, families saying that they're going to pay less because now they're, you know, quote unquote, not in charge of as many kids um, for most of the day or whatever. And I'm like, well, what happens when that kid gets sick? What happens when <laughs> they're on a break from school? What happens when et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Like, Absolutely. You should be paid <laughs> for your time for how many children you are responsible for for that time. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted the security, right? So this had happened to me actually. I was in a position, and I was like, "Well, I can't guarantee because if I do, you know, if you're cutting my my pay, that means I'm gonna have to find work to make it up for this. But that doesn't mean that when your kid is sick, I'm gonna have you know go and call the other one (laughs) my my other below I can't come it's like you you're gonna pay for the availability and you know usually when the times I you know I advise nannies to find other ways that you can still be useful and you can keep you know giving that uh the the availability to the you know to the family either if you're gonna take maybe some house managing tasks if you can uh if all of the kids are in school you know they can work it out but if not, then the family needs to know that, okay, then you do need to find someone for uh, backup because it's not like I'm going to be able to say no to my other work just to be here whenever you can. Uh, yeah. Right. Yes. If you, if you want me to set aside the time for your family to be on call, then you need to pay me to be on call. Absolutely in a way that is going to keep me from wanting to look for other families. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, 
what are some other things that um, are kind of that basic? Because sometimes I do feel like most listeners to my podcast, I do think are very, uh, they have their finger on the pulse of the nanny world and, and all of that good stuff. But there are things that, that I know I even take for granted about, you know, my own privilege in the nanny world um, and things that I just don't think about because I, I haven't been faced with them. So I would love some other things that seem so basic. It's like, we shouldn't have to put this in writing, <laughs> but yeah. we do need to put this in writing. Yeah, I think, uh, well, one of the, the basic ones is really now that we are requiring work agreements, like it needs to mm -hmm. be stated. Uh, here in Massachusetts, I believe there are laws, like if you work 16 or more hours, you're entitled to. Um, but some basic stuff, it's really discrimination, which is really hard to prove when you're going to somebody else's house, right? That intimate, right. Um, you know, environment, like how are you going to prove that? How are you going to be proved, you know, of discrimination? Um, harassment is another one that we do need to, you know, have laws for, and even uh, retaliation. So we are in a job that a, a bad review, let's say if I work for a family for five years, and then I decide to quit, and they take personal, and that can hurt me a lot, right? That right. can hurt any nanny if you then don't have that, uh, that uh, reference for the five years that you were working. So uh, that's another protection that we've been fighting for, you know, especially if you speak up for, you know, to ensure that you, uh, you're, you're going for your rights, right? So like, oh, I have the right of, con of a contract or you're being discriminated. So when an employer cannot retaliate you for speaking up for, for example, time and a half was a benefit that I didn't know that I was entitled to until five years ago. Mm -hmm. And that means that through my years in college and grad school, I was working, you know, a hundred hours a week, you know, on average, average. Wow. So it was usually yeah. like, you know, nine to 120 hours a week, three jobs, because I needed to make money to pay for college and pay my bills. But if I knew that I, could, I you know, was entitled to time and a half, I could have worked half of that and made more money, right, than right. what I would so this is something that I tell them all the time. The whole thing also with, you know, me being an immigrant nanny, also going through phases where I would be really afraid of speaking up. And now we know one of the things we talk about is how labor laws will always prevail uh, immigration laws. So you shouldn't be afraid of speaking up for your rights. Uh, so we, you know, we try to educate folks on that too. Um, so there are a lot like, you know, guaranteed hours, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something also that folks don't talk about. And we need to do a lot of education with parents as well. Um, yeah, that there's a lot of things that we need. <laughs> we really yes. need, you know, backup from, you know, policies, federal level that um, to facilitate, because again, the work that we do and, you know, the service we provide is amazing. And I, I cannot wrap my head around that you know, we don't have this basic, like basic labor uh, laws to protect us. Yes, I know. Same with me of just like, it just feels like it, <laughs> the people, the for families to like, look at someone who is caring for their children and just not think that yeah. they should provide basic human rights is... Uh, mind-boggling and yet I also know that it happens all the time 
Yep. And, and as I said, like, we don't want to judge, you know, everybody. I do think that a lot of folks just don't know. It's that thing that that's why I think it's problematic sometimes to talk about being part of the family because it continues mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, make them not see that this is also a person that has their own family that needs right. the protections and the benefits that you have in your job, you know, for your family. And it's not something that you're willing, you know, if you're not willing to provide that even as a, a family member, right? Because you think they're taken care of, but like, no, you are the employer and they are depending on you for that. So it is, it is tricky. Mm-hmm. It definitely, definitely is. Um, what can listeners do if they, if they want to uh, be more involved in advocacy? How can listeners get involved? Absolutely. So one thing I want to say is just advocacy, guys, it's just as simple as maybe retweeting something, right? Mm -hmm. Or signing a petition or being involved with your, know who your reps are and give them a call and just say, hey, I'm an in and guess what's happening? You know, really share they're there. They work for us. So this is something that I can't stress enough for folks to get to know their, you know, their representatives who are they, you know, their senators, their, uh, you know, state representatives. And, and talk to them about your work and what you do and what's important to you. And then be attuned about what's coming and laws that protect you. So we have, you know, if you want to join, there are several organizations. Um, as I said, NWA, we have over 64 or I don't know, over 60. I don't know if it's worth 64 right now, affiliates around the country. And it's great if you want to reach out to your affiliates and just getting to know, we have actually online, uh, getting to know train, uh, getting to know your rights trainees pretty much on a monthly basis. Uh, but they also have lots of free training for folks, even on negotiating contracts or, mm-hmm. you know, just learning um, about how to be a leader in your own community. And I would say the, the minimum, the basic thing is really reach out to other nannies around you and see how they're doing and talk about it, talk about the benefits, talk about how, you know, empowering each other and to see their value and not trying to learn a bit more because then you're going to see that there are some nannies that just don't know yet and maybe they're afraid and maybe they do need that little, you know, uh, encouragement to maybe get into a better situation. Yes. Yes. I, I think that that part, that piece is so important of talking with other nannies. Cause I know even in, you know, my little nanny squad, um, we text each other and we're like, Hey, like this just happened weird, not weird. And like, you know, just having someone like check you on like, no, that was like, you should not be treated that way. Or, um, you know, oh, I think maybe they meant this, like keep an eye on it and keep us posted. Things like that, um, are, are so, so important. And, you know, I have a nanny resource podcast and there are still times that I need someone else to tell me, look, no, Martha, you deserve to be treated better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always, it's always good to talk with other nannies, uh, because I do think that that gives us a lot of power. Yeah. And sometimes because we're so into one situation, maybe we don't see it, right? It's easier for folks from the outside when, you know, when they see it. So for example, we have the nanny breakfast club here locally where I started like seven years ago. We're just like going for breakfast every Saturday. Mm -hmm. And we had several folks that would come in and maybe they would move from another state and they find themselves here working for $11 an hour. And they think it's great because they came from 
middle of nowhere, Iowa or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, right? right? Um, but then they come here, it's like, dude, living wage here is $27. <laughs> so you can definitely make more than this, but they wouldn't know unless they were talking and connecting to other nannies. And, but I do think there's one important uh thing that I'm going to say, though, we also need to come from a place that we don't want to judge them. And um, I've seen this happen a few times where, you know, folks will, will blame the immigrants or whatever that they are taking that they are accepting this low paying jobs and it's making bad for everybody else. Right. That's not how you're going to help, <laughs> you right. know, just judging and, you know, and blaming sometimes. Yes, we do know their folks that they, that that's what they need and they're going to do what they need to bring food at the table. Uh, but they need some compassion. They need some folks that are, you know, can really guide them and empower them. So sometimes it is, it is a, a matter of really empowerment sometimes and as we can see here it, it's really much deeper than that it's it's something that you know we might even have to get legal case involved and you know the police and stuff to really do a rescue instead of just saying oh demand more money right so there there, there are different situations and i think we do need to be generally um caring and wanting to understand and compassionate about their situation to see how we can help and just going and trying to change folks that sometimes is not really the best approach Yes, I, I appreciate that you brought that up because I do think that there's, I see a lot on the Facebook groups of like, just walk away or like, you know, or, or you, you know, you deserve more than that. Like, go get it. And it's like, it's, you don't know their story. You don't know, um, you know, anything about their situation. So and I'm guilty of that because, but I say even to my students, right? Sometimes I have to tell them like, well, fortunately I've got to a place where it is easier for me to walk away and find another position than actually have any hard conversation, which is not, I should, I should work better on this. But <laughs> again, I just feel like it's a point of privilege where I got that I don't need to stress about that. But at the same time, um, we do want to just, you know, understand their situation. So I do need to hold myself back and say, listen, you deserve more. And I would love to set up a plan and do something that maybe I, you know, see if I can help or how I can help. Right. So this is something me as an advocate all these years, I always tell them, it's like, yes, I have a program. Yes. I have all the services that I, you know, that I offer, but I've never turned a nanny down if they need help. So just call me, just reach out and I would do whatever I can. I can connect you with someone. Um, Cause I know it's not just quitting here. Right. I would never do that. I would definitely line up something first before walking away. Right. <laughs> so it's something that we want to like, oh, you deserve better, but let's let's help them, right? Let's be compassionate. Let's hear first. Let's see how we can support them into if it, it's if it is a situation that they need to leave, we need to be able to also help and you know be supportive of creating that playing that that safety net for them to okay, if I do this, it's, it's not just leaving a job, it's their whole life. They need to think, you know, all the pros and crones and all of this stuff. So it's not as simple as just, let's find another job. Right. Yes. And I, I see this a lot in my um, counseling classes, because I'm in school to become a family counselor right now, of this idea of while working on this macro level of trying to change laws, trying to educate, you know, everyone at the same time, like these big things that are, are nationwide or worldwide. Um, the same methods to get the word out 
to the masses is not how we have those individual conversations on that micro interpersonal level of like, I'm talking to another human being, honor the human being in front of you first Yes. Before the agenda of kind of like what we were talking about with education of like the, you know, the child in front of you and their own curiosity is more important than the quote unquote education. And I think that when we're talking with another nanny, keeping that human being in mind first is is the way to go. Absolutely. And that's the important point, too, to say that even when we are, uh, let's say, um, what do you call I want to say inspiring um, legislations or, or, or just making like the laws, right? Passing the, the, the great power that comes from the advocacy is actually the collective. Mm-hmm. So it's not one person, it's not Tati here that's going to go and talk to her. You know, it's not just NDWA. What is an organization? Organization is made of collective stories. So it is all of us together coming with all of our stories to actually, you know, together have that power to go and fight for better, um, you know, laws for better conditions for our work. So that's why we really do need to honor, you know, individuals and the story because the power is really, me alone, I wouldn't be able to do, you know, all the things that I've done or, you know, really in several levels, like I do needed the support from either an organization, from other peers, right? From other nannies that have, you know, and. Uh, organizer that came before me to to do this work to set up the place so it's it's a work that we do together yes love that yeah well I know that we could talk about these things for (laughs) hours and hours and I I'm looking forward to hopefully having you back on the podcast soon to talk about more amazing things um, because I think that you're such a wealth of knowledge so oh thank um, you yeah I I appreciate um everything that you've shared with us today. And I look forward to, to learning more from you <laughs> sometime yeah, soon. Thank you. Thank you. It'd be an honor. Yes. Um, so I would love to let other nannies or listeners in general know uh, where they can find out more about you. How can they get in touch with you and learn more about you? Absolutely. You guys can find me on Facebook or Instagram at nannytati.com or nannytati. So that's T-H-A-T-Y for Tachi. And uh, you can go on my website, uh, caretaticus.com. It's being rebranded. Nanny Tachi also works, but you'll find me. I am on the forums. I am on social media. And if you allow me, I will also say that I do have content in Portuguese. I started creating Portuguese content about a year ago. So for my Portuguese content, you'll find me at Super Nanny Tati, uh, again, in all social media platforms. I love that. And yes, that's so wonderful to have it available in multiple languages. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, wonderful. Yes. And all of those links are down in the show notes. So do not worry if you uh, are driving or whatever and can't go look it up right now. Um <laughs> Awesome. Well, we end each episode with a cute, fun story and Nanny Tachi has brought one. All right. So I had several to think about, but I'm going to tell one uh, that's really cute. And I guess it tells me how much I love working with kids. Uh, There was a time in my life in 2008 that I talk about it's being probably my 2020 of most people, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was the worst (laughs) year of my life. That's why 2020 had nothing on me. 
And I went through a really bad breakup and, you know, my, you know, some big loss. And I remember being so depressed and coming to work. And then my three-year-old, he had this little bunny that he would never, never sleep without. And he made me take home with me that day because he said, he said I needed more than he did. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, I know you're not going to sleep. And he got mad at me. He's like, no, no, he needs to go with you. And I was just looking at the parents like, oh, come and I'll bring it back. And I actually brought it back. He got so mad. I was like, no, touching me. He made like a big fuss. And they actually had to drive and give me the bunny. <laughs> because he made it like I needed to sleep with the bunny. So uh, this just tells like how, how amazing children are. It's just, you know, you can see how caring they are, right? How genuine, how naive. It's I get chills every time I tell the story because it just... Yeah, that, that's why I love my job. That's why I love working with those little human beings because they are really magical and amazing. That is, oh, I love that story so much. Um, yeah. That's adorable. Thank you so much for sharing. And it does, it really does showcase um, how the magic of what we do in children. Yeah, it, and, it, and they know, they know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I remember the five-year-old even told me around that time the same thing and it was like the breakup and he was like Tachi he doesn't he just doesn't know any better (laughs) that's right (laughs) they're so cute (laughs) yes yes uh well thank you so much for spending time with us today oh thank you it's been my pleasure and thank you all for listening we'll see you next week bye I love providing chronicles of Nania to you at no cost So if you love this podcast, please consider donating by clicking the support the show link in the show notes. I also totally understand if a donation isn't the way you can show your support right now. Another excellent way to support the podcast is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help other nannies and caregivers around the world find Chronicles of Nannia. Also, if you love the show, tell your friends. Word of mouth is so helpful to get the word out about the podcast. And truly, thank you for listening. It really means the world to me. The Chronicles of Nania is produced and hosted by Martha Tyler. Artwork by Noni Blastodon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudios.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture.